Good morning, everybody. How many of you are excited for the Blacklight Easter egg hunt getting ready to come up? Hey, yes. That's, we've been looking forward to this all year long, really since last Easter. So this has kind of been a, a favorite of ours. And so uh, if you have seen um, our postings on Facebook or uh, our ad, we appreciate you showing up to be a part of this incredible event. And um, if some of you didn't know, we have an official mascot here at Vertical Life Church. It's called the V-Life Ninja. And uh, our ninja was up to no good this week. He was stashing eggs with prizes in them all throughout the downtown Clio community. And, uh, and some uh, were lucky enough to, to find some, and they posted pictures to their Facebook page. And there still might be some out there. So after you leave today, keep an eye out around town, and you might come across some. And there's some good prizes in there. There's some gift certificates, I think, to say their chiropractic and some other things in there. So not just stuff for the kids, but also for the adults. And so we're excited about that. Uh, this is the time in our service where we invite everyone, if you have a smartphone with you, to check in on Facebook just to let people know that you're here and, and what your experience has been like at Vertical Life Church, and uh, we appreciate that for you. I see a lot of new faces today, and I just want to introduce myself. My name is Joey, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I want you to know we have a philosophy at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God. Everyone. There's not a person on the planet that is too far to experience his love. No matter what you've done, where you've come from, what you've been through, God's love is for you. And um, there's one of my favorite verses in all the Bibles, John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And it's that, it's that promise, it's that truth that we hold to, which is why we are here today. This is a very special day in the life of a church. And it's not because of bunnies and chocolate, even though that helps, right? It's not because of bunnies and chocolate. No, it's because today, Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, is the day that represents the moment everything changed. This is the hallmark, this is the anchor for the entire Christian faith. If this day did not happen, we would not be here in this building today. And, uh, and so we're thankful that you came to celebrate Resurrection Day with us. Now, you may not be sold on religion. There might be a various uh, you know, reasons why you're here. Maybe you came because your kids really wanted to do the egg hunt and church really isn't your normal thing. Maybe you grew up in church but just decided it wasn't for you and you just haven't attended in a long time. Whatever the case may be, you may not be sold on religion, but for most people, we like the idea of belonging to a community of people where you have all things in common, where you help each other out, where you love each other and work uh, for the good of others together. Those are things that we like about you know, religion and church, or the things we like about Jesus. But when it comes to believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died literally and came back to life, for many of you, your jury is probably still out. You're probably thinking, I'm not so sure about that stuff. Because let's be honest, that is a fantastic statement. There's so many things that that one statement implicates for us in, in our lives. And for many, that's a big pill to swallow. Because people don't just come back from the dead. I know some people that are law enforcement officers that are also involved in the medical profession. And it's not a normal thing that when someone dies, they rise again, especially three days later. 
Not to mention, people don't normally come back from the death, the type of death Jesus endured. The Romans were experts in the ability to uh, extract capital punishment. It is said that the crucifixion is the most horrendous and painful form of death that one could go through. And so we know the descriptions of what Jesus had to endure. Matter of fact, the, the Latins had to invent a new word to describe the torment of the cross. It's the word excruciating. In the original language, that word excruciating literally means from the cross or out of the cross. The, the cross was something that most people have nightmares about. And this is what Jesus went through. And so to know what he went through, not to mention as the Roman soldier pierced his side as he was on the cross to ensure his death, we know by what he went through and what he endured, there is no way humanly possible that he could come back from that. And so that is a hard pill to swallow for many. Uh, the average person, whether they're of faith or not, they like the parts of the Bible about helping others. They like the parts about living a good life. But when it comes to all the supernatural and miraculous things in the Bible, it's kind of hard to believe because those aren't things we encounter day in and day out. And according to famous men like Bill Maher and noted atheists like Richard Dawkins, you know, they claim that if you believe in the talking snake in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, that you've lost your mind. And to the average person, yes, snakes don't normally talk to people. If you do, you need to check the meds that you're on because that is not a normal thing, right? And so these are fantastical statements. But the thing is, Paul the Apostle, Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a messenger. He was a missionary. He planted some of the very first churches of the Christian faith in the known world at the time. Paul the Apostle, he also wrote most of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament books were written by Paul. So a lot of the things we understand about Jesus and about God come directly from Paul himself. And if you were to have a conversation with Paul talking about whether or not it's easy to believe the fantastical things in the Bible, Paul would agree with you if you were the one that your jury was out or you weren't quite sure of whether or not you could trust or believe in these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 or 12 through 20, Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth, one of the churches he started. And in this letter, this is what Paul writes about resurrection. In verse 12, it says this. He says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And if we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. And in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in all the world. The resurrection is that important. See, this is one of the amazing things about the Bible is that it's that honest. It looks at the world and it looks like it looks at our daily lives and it's honest. It's real. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. Paul is saying, look, if the resurrection doesn't happen, yeah, all Christians are crazy. Every one of them. And they're wasting their time. They're wasting their energy. Everything we're killing ourselves for day in and day out to live in an honorable way, worthy of the love of God or creator of the universe. You are out of your mind. 
See, if Jesus isn't who he said he was and he didn't do what he said he was going to do, Paul says, then that makes us liars because that's what we're telling you happened. There's no hope for those who have died, believing, died hopeless. Those who are living and still believe are fools who are worthy of your pity for being so stupid. Another translation of the, the Bible says that we are men most miserable, and miserable we are, trying to live according to a, a code of conduct or a moral system that is counter to everything we experience in the world. You know, the, the, the popular social norms that we experience day in and day out are against just about everything we see in Scripture. And so if you're trying to live according to the Bible, you're living against what's popular in the culture, and that's difficult and hard. But what Paul is saying here, in other words, is that if that's how you feel about religion, if that's how you feel about Christianity, is that there's some good parts there, but most of it is unbelievable, Paul is saying that's a perfectly rational way to think because that's how most people would think. The claims in the Bible are extraordinary. But what comes next in the text is something you are going to have to wrestle with. Something you're going to have to wrestle with today and from here on out in your life. Verse 20, here's what Paul says. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Paul, in his letter to the church of Corinth, he's saying, yeah, resurrection, that's a far-fetched idea. It's something fun to think about, but it hasn't been done before until now. And now since the first man, Christ, has risen from the dead, now one day we will all be raised, all who believe in him. We all experience death because of the sin of Adam, but now through Christ we will experience life everlasting. See, the apostles also, they weren't the only ones to see Jesus rise from the dead. Jesus, over the course of a couple months, appeared to many. The scripture even says that there were over 200 that saw Christ over the course of, of several months. This wasn't an isolated incident, as some would like to think. This happened not just for a few, but it changed an entire community. It changed an entire city. In a few short months after Christ ascended into heaven, thousands upon thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ, converting from a belief system that would condemn you to death for making such an allegiance. You look in the news today and you see what's happening in the Middle East with ISIS and some of the persecution they're unleashing on people of other faiths and other backgrounds. This was the similar situation in the time of Christ in the, the land of Israel. You could be stoned in the street. Matter of fact, Stephen was the first martyr stoned in the street by Jewish men for preaching Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the evidence that he was who he said he was and that what he taught us and passed on to the apostles is true. Jesus is not just a good philosopher who's teaching cultural ethics. He's the God of the universe showing us the way not only to be saved from our sins, but to live an incredible life while we're still here on the earth as we wait for him to come back and make all things new. The resurrection is the anchor for our entire faith. It's what we build our lives upon. Now, when you build a house, if you know anything about construction, when you're in that, building a house, the first thing you have to 
begin with when you build a house is the what? The foundation, right? Without a foundation, you're, you're, you're in a world of hurt. If there's not a strong foundation, there is nothing to hold you up, uh, nothing to hold the house up when the elements uh, arise. And Jesus tells us a story in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Here's what he says. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, everything rides on the foundation, the support structure of the house. And since day one, since each and every one of us were born, every one of us has been building our lives on something like we build a house. It's like a life house. We look for things to build our lives on, and these things affect just about everything. Our understanding of the world, what shapes our identity, what we think about ourselves, how we value ourselves. We look for things that we can fall back on to help us understand who we are and what our purpose is and what we believe is true and how to think about different situations. Some of the things we build our lives upon are our family unit. Some of us grew up in a house where we had a mom and a dad, a brother, a sister, and 1.2 pets. I don't know how you get a .2 pet, but that's the statistic, I think. I don't know if that .2 is like a hamster or a gerbil or one of those little yippy dogs you want to kick across the room when they won't shut up. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of out there. But we, we grow up with this idea of our family. And because we have this family structure, that becomes part of who we are and how we begin to define ourselves. And because family is important, we also begin to build our lives on our family values, our parents and the things that they find to be important or the things they don't find to be important. You know, we're entering an election cycle, and many of you are going to vote the same way your parents did because they instilled in you to follow a certain party or a certain, certain way uh, of, of belief in your political views. Family values is another thing we build our lives on. Our health. Some of you are, have had great health, and so that's enabled you to be adventurous and take risks and, and go out and try to conquer the world and, and just experience all that you can. And so you've built your life on your health. Some of you have built your lives on safety and security. You kind of grew up with that family structure in a bubble. They've kind of sheltered you and protected you, and, and so that's shaped how you view the world. And since you've been protected from a lot of things, that has helped you grow up to think and believe and understand the world in a certain way. And many of you haven't had the, uh, the chance to really endure scary situations. Not everyone goes off to war. Not everyone is mugged on the street. Many of us have gone through life and we've not experienced those things. And so that helps shape our lives the way we view the world. Some of us, we build our lives on our mentors and our influences. Some of you are really close to your pastors or you, you have great authors that you read their books and you let their works inspire the way you think and the way you uh, view the world. Then we have relationships, right? After you leave your family unit, you begin to enter into a relationship. Your identity changes. You stop being viewed as an individual, and you start being viewed as a couple. And so now everything in your life is, is kind of viewed through that new identity in that relationship. Some of you have built your life on your financial stability. God has blessed you with great finances. You can not only pay the bills, but you can go do other things that are kind of frivolous or not necessarily necessary. Uh, God's blessed you with a good job, and that career has now become part 
of your identity. These are all things that we begin to build our lives upon. We put our faith in these things, and we allow these things to shape our purpose and who we are. But even though these things are good things, many things that we all tend to hope for and hope that by doing well in these areas, that, that if we live our lives kind of managing and navigating through these areas, building our lives on these things, as long as we uh, live a good life, we don't purposefully uh, bring evil into someone's life or we don't try to, to uh, do things that are wrong, as long as we try to live a good life, we hope that as we build these houses in our lives, that we will one day make it to heaven. Because if God actually is out there and he exists, as long as I have built a good house and I've lived a good life, then when I stand before him, he'll have to let me in because he's a God of love and, and I am not as bad as others are. But the problem with that thinking, the problem with thinking that we can just build our lives on these things is that these things aren't stable. These things aren't stable. They're not sure. We live in a world where evil can show up when you least expect it, where sin can appear in your heart and in the hearts of those that are close to you when you don't expect it. And it only takes one divorce to shatter the foundation of that perfect picturesque family you've built your life upon. It only takes one abuse to shatter the trust and security of that life that you've that you've built your life upon. It only takes one adultery or one betrayal to shatter the relationships that you've built your life upon. It only takes one gunman to walk into your school or your kid's school to shatter that sense of peace and security that you've built your life upon. It only takes one bad health report to shatter the foundation that you've built your life upon. See, it only takes one moment one moment for these things that we tend to let shape our identity, we tend to rely on to help us direct the view that we have in the world, it takes one moment to end those things. See, when our world gets rocked, it's like an unstable building in an earthquake. When we get shaked, what happens with a bad foundation? It's the house falls apart, much like the fool who built his house on the sand. And not only do our lives crumble, but so does any hope of getting into heaven because in those situations when the shaking comes or when the storms and the trials arise, we are all too well aware of the sin that's in our hearts through all those I wish I never said moments and the wish I never did moments. But Jesus said that the wise man is the one who builds his house on the rock. You see, in ancient architecture, before they would begin building the house, they would place a solid structure in the foundation, and they would they call it the cornerstone. Then every other brick, every other stone in the structure would be built on top of or next to that stone. The cornerstone would be laid first. And in Isaiah 28, verse 16, this is our key verse today in our message. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. This is what God says. He says, therefore... This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. So this cornerstone that God is speaking about through the prophet Isaiah is the very same stone Jesus is referring to as he's giving us this illustration of both the wise and the foolish builders. And Paul confirms what this stone is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The cornerstone is who? Christ Jesus himself. 
the cornerstone, the strong foundation, the, the sure place, the stone that the wise man built his house on was Jesus Christ through placing his faith in him and trusting in his teachings. You see, this is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. This is why this moment today, the day we celebrate, matters. Because it changes how we live and understand the entire world. It changes what we believe to be true and how we desire to live our lives. This is why we show up week after week to sing His praises and why we study His Word. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Jesus came back from the dead to be the stone that we can build our lives on. The stone that we can trust to keep us up when life gets hard. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have an immovable foundation. And as our lives are built on this new foundation, we don't trust in what was before. We don't trust in what we build our lives upon before. We don't trust in our family structures, in our family values. But what we do is we try to live to honor Jesus now in our families and with our values. We don't trust in our relationships because we're building on Jesus. We trust in Jesus and we live to honor Jesus in our relationships. We don't trust in our health or in our safety, but we live to honor Jesus in whatever situation we find ourselves in. We don't trust in our finances or our careers, but we live to honor the Lord with our finances and our careers. By building our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ, we now live and navigate our lives living to honor him. And by doing so, not only will our house endure during the times of shaking, but we will walk into the arms of the Lord when we get to heaven, hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he has promised to all those who build their lives on the rock, he's promised to all those who believe in him that we will be covered by his grace, his mercy, his love, and his forgiveness. See, the thing about Jesus, too, is he's not just interested in getting you to heaven. His only interest is not having you build a tower to get into heaven. Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 10 said that he had came into this world so that we might have life and life overflowing, a life abundantly. He's just as interested in this life as he is the next. And God speaking through another prophet in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I know the plans I have for you. So we say everyone matters to God, right? This is a personal uh, promise. God knows the plans he has for you. Why? Because you matter. You matter. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. They are plans for good and not disaster. They're to give you a future and a hope. You see, the nation of Israel at the time Jeremiah is writing this uh, prophecy, they were getting ready to enter a time of great struggle a period of 70 years where they were going to struggle and they were going to have to endure. And here God is telling them, look, hold on to your faith. Hold on to the trust. Continue to build on the rock because there is a day coming. I know the plans I have for you. I know what I'm planning to do through you. I know the good that I'm getting to work out in your life if you stay strong and build on the rock. You see, Jesus doesn't want you to just build a tower straight into heaven with your faith. He wants to prosper you, which means he wants to expand your horizons. He wants to expand your territory. He wants to enlarge your house in expectation of the great things to come because he has a great 
plan for you. And so no matter what you endure, no matter what trials you face, by building on the rock, you will not be moved and you will set yourself up for a great reward. And the more areas of your life you build on the rock, the more blessing you will experience here and in the life to come. So the core concept of this message today that I want you to take home with you is this, that before you can build, you have to believe. That is the cornerstone of the entire Christian faith. Before you can build on the rock, before you can have that unmovable foundation in your life, before you can have that hope rise in your heart, you have to believe. Even before you lay the cornerstone in a structure, as you go to build a foundation, you need to have a blueprint of what you're going to build. And our blueprint is given to us by God. It is the word of God. It is the Bible. And in the scripture, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, the very first process in building this life house on the rock is by beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, by placing your faith and trust in him. You have to surrender your doubt. You have to get off the fence, and you have to choose to believe. You have to believe he was who he said he was and that he did what he always said he would do. He would rise again and make a way for you to have new life. You have to go all in with Jesus. And when you go all in with the Lord, you can trust that no matter how hard this world shakes, our God's love for you is greater. His power is stronger. His plans are better. And we know this because he didn't stay in the grave. No, on the third day when the women got to the tomb and they had seen the, the stone was rolled away, they encountered an angel standing before the tomb. And this is what the angel said to the women in Matthew 28, verse 6. The angel said, he isn't here. The best words you will hear your entire life. God is not dead. He's alive. He is not here. He is risen from the dead just as he said it would happen. Come on and see where his body was lying. You see, even the angels in heaven said, I know you have doubts. I know you don't understand, but I want you to come check this thing out for yourself. See with your own eyes. See with your heart. He is not here. And I don't know what your story is today. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what kind of life you've led. I don't know what you've been building your house upon. But what I do know is that you know the pain of the shaking. You've experienced life and people let you down. And I'm here to tell you today, you can trust in Jesus. But don't take my word for it. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Because he will never leave you. He will never cheat on you. He will never abuse you. He will never fail you. And he will never lead you astray. He went to the cross and rose from the grave so that you could have an abundant life. Strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And his invitation for you today is that if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, your life will never be the same. You will have a life overflowing as you begin building your house upon this rock. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place. I don't know a whole lot about many things. 
But I do know that each and every one of us wake up each and every day desiring purpose, desiring hope. And I know that right now the Spirit of God is speaking to hearts in this place. There are some of you here today that you've not yet taken that leap. You've not yet said, Jesus, I'm going all in with you. You've not taken a hard look at the resurrection and said, because he is alive, that means things. That changes things. And I'm going to follow the Lord. And so in this moment, if you're here today, and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you know that you need to take that step, I'd like to pray for you in this place. If that's you here today, just... just so I could pray for you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, you know what, Joey, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior, but I need that hope. I need that relationship. Just slip your hand up and say, that's me, Joey. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you that raised your hand in this place, Jesus made it as easy as possible to begin building your house upon the rock to have new life, to begin a relationship with him. He said, if you confess me with your mouth and you believe, and the way we confess him is that we ask him, we pray, and we declare him as your Lord and Savior. And so if you are here today and you desire to accept Jesus as your Savior, to begin a relationship with him, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. This will be the most important prayer you ever pray in your entire life. And I invite you now to repeat this after me from your heart to the Lord. Just right where you are, say, Father, I'm a sinner. And I've been building my life on many things. But today I begin building on the rock. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. In his death and his resurrection. Forgive me of my sins and come live in my heart. I am yours today, now, and forever. With an attitude of prayer. If you prayed that prayer, we just want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, just slip your hand up and say, Joey, I prayed that today. I prayed and asked Jesus into my life. Amen. Thank you. Just slip your hand up and say, I prayed and accepted Jesus Christ all around the room. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead and put your hands down. Father, I pray for these now that raise their hands. Lord, those that accepted you as their Savior. God, to those that began building their lives on the rock. Lord, I just pray encouragement and hope over them now. God, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to them. That you would encourage them, God. That you would let them experience your love and grace right now in this place. God, and I pray as Vertical Life Church exists to uh, be here for our community. God, I pray that they would come and allow us to encourage them and help them in their spiritual journey. God, I thank you for the ministry that you've placed here in this church. God, I pray, thank you for all those that have come. And I pray, God, blessings on them now in this place. And this we ask in Jesus' name.